What's up, my loves, and welcome back to the Spiritually Sassy Show, where we are redefining what it means to be spiritual in the modern world. I'm your host, Sadi Simone. I'm a mystic, an artist, transformational speaker, an author, and the creator of the Somatic Activated Healing Method, and I'm so grateful that you're here. And I'm so excited for you to dive into this episode because, shit, girl, my mind was blown. This was so juicy. Oh, my goodness. Our guest today is Dr. Scott Lyons. Dr. Scott Lyons is a licensed holistic psychologist, an educator, and the author of the book Addicted to drama, healing dependency on crisis and chaos in yourself and others. Addicted to drama is such a, a juicy, delicious, powerful book. We talk all about it in this episode. You are going to gag, pull out a pen and paper and get ready, honey, because this episode is like, okay, honey, make some notes. Uh, Scott is also the creator of the Embody Lab, the largest online learning platform for body-based trauma therapies, and he's a developer of Somatic Stress Release, a holistic process of restoring biological resilience. Hello, we love that. Scott's also the founder and progressive designer of Omala, a wellness brand dedicated to creating sustainable Sustainably source tools for transformation. Get into this episode, my love. And remember, if you love the show, please rate, review, and subscribe so we can keep the momentum of the spiritually sassy message reaching far and wide. Love you, mean it. Take good care. What's up, my love? Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I am so grateful you're here. I don't know how I, and I was telling you before we got on the record, I'm like, I don't know how exactly I found you, but when I found you, I was like, okay, honey, Addicted to Drama is the name of your new book. Fuck, we got to talk, honey, because <laughs> I think I am like aware of my, uh, you know, um, being like intoxicated by drama and also repulsed by it. So I'm navigating mm-hmm. this like extreme, uh, these extreme extremes. Mm-hmm. And, but before I took my vow in 2014, I, my life was fully lived by the drama. Je loved the drama, you know, <laughs> welcome to the show, my love. And, and let's get into it. Let's talk about let's, this book. Let's talk about the drama. Let's talk about the tea. <laughs> let's talk about the tea of, of drama. That's right. That's yeah. right. So talk to me about this book. Like what led you to writing the book and like what's behind the title? <laughs> Behind the title is me and all of us. Um, so I, what brought me to this book is this was my doctoral work when I was in school, but really it was my life experience for all those years before grad school. I just needed a space to like process it and unpack it. And, you know, um, I, for many years, I found myself stuck in these cycles of exaggerated intensity. And I wouldn't have said it like that back then I would have said like, Oh, why are bad things always happening to me? And like, why is drama always following me around? And why do I just seem to magnetize and attract toxic people? Never seen myself in the equation. Oops. Oops. (laughs) Ah, Whatever. Um, and then in my late twenties, mid late twenties, I 
just encountered myself over and over again in the hardest way possible until I could no longer see that I was the problem, that I was the contribution to my own suffering. And it was a really painful, very painful experience to just see just how much I was creating havoc in my own physiology, let alone havoc in my environment. And, and never intentionally. And, and that was the thing is like, we've all heard of like the term drama queen. You know, some of us have t-shirts that say that I have a couple hats. Um, and, you know, but there was never any compassionate inquiry into like, what actually is this? Like, what from a non-shame perspective is actually going on underneath all the layers of what seems like attention seeking? Because one of the things I know for myself is someone might have called me a drama queen, and they did. And they're like, you're just looking for attention. But I could never actually receive the attention. I could never take it in. It was my inner critic was much louder than whatever attention they could provide. Mm. And so I knew that it had nothing to do with, quote unquote, attention. It wasn't some like loud cry for just getting more of someone else's focus. It was something much deeper, something much, much deeper that really was like a hunger. It was a craving, something I found myself in, in the throes of drama. Like when you're really in it, it feels like you can't get out of it. You feel like entrapped in your own cyclone your own tornado of chaos and crisis intoxicated by it's it. intoxicating and drunk it actually, on drama <laughs> yeah and there is like physiological reasons for feeling drunk on drama like for feeling actually sometimes empowered alive and it's not just um you know it, it really truly does have also gives us an endorphic high it gives us pain relief it gives us a false sense of feeling bonded. Like if you and I are in the like dish of it and we're gossiping and we're throwing some a little bit of shade, maybe whatever, we're just going for it. And all of a sudden we feel closer. And yet we've intoxicated each other as a means to bond. Sadly, it's so true. I 100%, like I mentioned briefly this, but in 2014, um, yeah. when I took, you know, my Buddhist vows in Nepal, one of them was to like not gossip, not put each uh, other people down, not put yourself down, not lie. And I was kind of like, nah, I'm just going to, yes, 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 yes. I didn't say no to uh, to drugs and alcohol and toxicants at that point. Um because it's like, mm, maybe I still need this shit. You know, let me hold on to these things. These are the ones I think I can go without. But I didn't realize until like I had made that decision of how harsh it was of a change. Because all of a sudden I was like, and I found myself like walking up to groups and like, I always had something to say, but I realized like what I had to say was like tea on someone else, shade on someone else. It was like always something, putting someone down, exaggerating a little bit of this thing, you know, like glorifying a little bit of that. It was always, this, it was never like truth telling to its core. It was never like, you know, a clear, honest, vulnerable communication it was always like, I always had to hide behind something. You know, and, and later, you know, the more I went into the self-inquiry, self I was like, 
what the fuck am I hiding? What's this like ongoing need to turn up the tea 24 seven? Why do I have to live up to this fucking drama queen title and think it's like some proud shit to be, you know, strolling around like a fucking crown? You know, little did I know I was like, really like unwilling to like look at, you know, some deep, dark aspects of myself. And, but before we talk about this, I want to hear you speak about like, how can drama be a, be an addiction? Like, how can we cat- categorize that in the sense of like, yeah. you know, looking at like the work we, uh, you know, I, 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 I think you do as well in, in with in people in recovery mm-hmm. with people who like with, with what we call addiction, right? Yeah. Outside of like, you know, yeah. drugs and alcohol. Like, yeah. how can we put drama in that same category? Bitch, I fucking know it, but I need you to educate <laughs> us because shit, that shit is as addicting. You know what I mean? It, it is more addicting than you could ever imagine. And and I'll get into it as to, to you know, the, the mechanics of it. But yeah, I mean, it's so easy to like throw the word, oh, I'm addicted to love or I'm addicted. Like, just start throwing addiction in front of everything. And there's, you know, we can over-medicalize anything. We love pathologizing everything. Yeah, this is trauma and that's trauma. And I broke my nail and that's trauma. And it's like, well, what then is trauma? And so the same can be said about addiction. And I, I appreciate the question actually in that. And there are certain markers that make something an addiction, such as, do you keep going despite the social consequences? Yes. And, <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. And do you start to build a tolerance to it? So like this amount of drama doesn't quite get you off like it used to. And so you have to up the ante. Yeah, you're you're nodding your head. You know that one. Keep going, honey. I'm just like the listener. You better be taking the. You better be sipping the tea right now and write the <laughs> shit down, honey, because that is so brutally honest. It's so true. And do you go through withdrawals? I mean, there's a few other, but do you go through withdrawals? Does the withdrawal look like the moment you start to settle and and get away from the tea, uh, get away from the drama? You start to move into something we call boredom or anxiety. Oh, your eyes just got super big. You're like, oh yeah. And you start to feel a currency of dis-ease inside of you. And what is the thing that gets you out of that anxiety, that gets you out of that like boredom? Another hit of drama. And it becomes a cycle. And you need more to feel more. And you need more to stay out of the malaise, the sort of like the awkward internal experience that of coming closer to your deeper wounds, the the anxiety, the dis-ease that's pervasive, the pervasive current of you, of how you exist in the world. So, and drama, you know, it's a, like all other addictions, it serves a purpose. It's not just some like, oop, you got it. Like that, that's not actually what addiction is. It serves a purpose. It fills a void. You know, when you've had trauma and you, whatever it is, one of the ways we protect ourselves is to numb. We might call it disassociation. We might call it numbing. We might call it inflammation. Yeah, there's a lot of ways, intelligent ways in which our body-mind protects itself from being in the swallowed up by the pain of trauma. And that 
that creates a separation. It creates a separation from ourself to ourself, creates a separation from ourself to the natural world, to ourself in relationships. And if I'm not here, then I'm not here in relationship with you. And I'm not here in relationship with the natural world. And there is a void of where my wholeness could exist. And in addiction, whether it's alcohol, whether it's cocaine, whether it's drama, it is distractive enough that it somehow feels like it fills that void or it brings me momentarily into a false sense or a sense of belonging. Because in the absence of all those connections is the absence of belonging. I don't belong to myself. I don't belong to this planet. I don't belong to a sense of purpose. And that is a heavy weight to feel. And, and, and that weight is out of the necessity to survive the trauma. And so, of course, we're going to want to we're going to want to numb it more, but we're also going to want to come and feel something. So, drama is like a, a one of the best stimulants there is. It takes me way above the threshold of numbness that was my survival sp- response, so that I can feel something, so that I can reassure my sense of existence on this planet. So that I don't just feel like a depressed, walking, anchorless ghost anymore. Wow. This is so deep. Oh, my goodness. And I love what you said about the belonging piece. I, rem- I remember um, I had Johan Hari and Rachel Wuzerman. We were doing a talk for Facebook. And I was I was interviewing them and hosting sort of like a panel, the three of us, about like addiction and um it was, a, it was like approaching addiction through a spiritual and psychological perspective. And, you know, Johan Hari's big famous TED Talk and yeah. Rachel's uh, work, they're both really emphasizing the need for community, the need to belong. And it doesn't matter if we're belonging because we're trauma bonding, but as long as we're belonging neurochemically in some false way, we are bonding. And therefore we feel like we are part of this group and therefore we feel like we are, we're okay, but it's yeah. such a false approach to it. And, and, in the world of social media and media and all the stuff where we're bombarded by fucked up news 24 seven, it's really hard to not realize, to, to not, to not realize it's what what we're not doing, but it's really hard to, to kind of take a step back and be like, wow, am I triggered by peace? Am Mm. I triggered by By relaxation? Am I triggered by easefulness when things are going okay? Am I constantly, because of I'm indoctrinated and and colonized by a capitalistic perception, Mm. I always feel like I have to produce to do. There's no rest. There's no sleep. And so there's this, the drama is layered, right? It's like- Drama is so layered. Oof, you're getting into so many of the layers of it. And yes, you know, we have something, if we're lucky enough, called a relaxation reflex. Yeah, we find it in meditation. We find it in yoga. It's like that, oh, it's that deep breath. And then suddenly I, I soften, I settle. I find a little more quietude. And my whole body goes into a little more rest and digest. I process some emotions in that state. Now, if we're lucky enough, to, to equate that with safety. 
if we do not, if I grew up in a, I grew up in a very significant household of chaos, I was not afforded the luxury of stillness. I was not granted the safety to feel settled. And so mine and many of our nervous systems, especially as you're talking about like the urgency culture, have now been, have this coupling, over coupling, that it is that of danger and settling. Because if I settle, two things will happen. I will come too close to the contact of my own internal pain. And I will make contact with something I do not, I was not given the time, space, permission, and support to address. And I will probably die. That is the internal script. And if I settle, I will not be vigilant enough to attend to the next trauma that will likely happen to the next threat. And so I have to stay vigilant. It is my safety mechanism to stay alert to stay attentive to where the next possible threat might be entering into my life. And if you are on the lookout for it, you will find it, which is why those of us who have experienced some type of addiction to drama will always come back to, why is there always bad things happening to me? Why are there such bad things in the world? Because you are stuck on that channel of reality. You are stuck. As a means of survival, as a means of safety, your eyes, your ears, your smell, your sense of touch are all looking for threat and will find it. And if you can't find it, you will seek it or create it to make sure that you don't feel a sense of dissonance with the world, that you are out of sync with reality. Holy shit. Thich Naha, the great Zen master, says, I'm paraphrasing. Every time I, I paraphrase a saint, I'm every time I'm quoting a saint, I'm always paraphrasing these motherfuckers because I'm digesting through my own system. So sure. hear me out. He he says something to the degree that he's like, We're so familiar with suffering, we're so familiar with misery that we rather stay in it than to seek something different. Because that different, it's so unfamiliar, it's so unknown that we rather stay with what's known, aka cortisol, inflammation, drama, addiction, distraction, distraction, distraction. And so many people today's world have built these perfect little lives, and I'm doing air quotes for the listener, perfect little lives of of, of being happy by the way that they can, by the way, how, by the way of how quickly they can distract themselves from feeling. Mm -hmm. And that's like a really wild thing to, to reflect on. It's like, if your entire, you know, meaning of what is happiness is going from one, one high to the next high, to the next high, to the next high, my darling, Scott Lyon's book, Addicted to Drama, might just be the fucking thing you need, bitch, because you are addicted to drama. And trust me, I was too. And I still find myself going from one thing to the next, one thing to the next. And then I'm like, okay, girl, you've gone neurotic. Take a breath. You went get crisis back. hopping. That's right. Crisis hopping. Shit. <laughs> you know, take a breath. Get back into your fucking body. You stop yeah. hovering over your life. Get back yeah. into your body. Where the fuck is your body? In the present moment, do that. 
that's when you can like take a have a bird's eye view, zoom out and be, and realize that you're caught in the in the hunger ghost realm. You're caught in this like insatiable thirst for the thing that will fix you out there that can fulfill the 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 hole inside of you. So I I I'm just like wow, everything you're saying, I'm like whoa. One thing I always remind people, the first step to realizing this addiction, you know, urging you is multitasking is a trauma responses, like literally splitting, doing two things at the same time is a way for you to distract yourself from feeling because we don't want to have to process what, what we haven't, you know, like being trained into doing it. We don't want to go into our bodies. It feels like a hell realm, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it, it, we want to distract ourselves. We want to protect ourselves. It's the same thing. And it's like, there's, there's no shame. I love that you're drinking from an air one bottle right now. So bitchy. <laughs> that, that just made my fucking day. Oh, I, I am fantasizing right now of going and eating a $200 ice cream sundae from air one. <laughs> oh my God. Well, this water was $794. Oh my God. Okay. You got it on sale. That's right. I got it on sale. <laughs> For those who are listening outside of the, the California bourgeois space, yeah. Air One is like an extremely obnoxious supermarket that I stroll by once in a little while, maybe too many mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. And if you go there on a mission, you get good things. If you go there hungry, you're fucked. You're so super fucked. You know what it's, I mean? It's, it's where the wealthy go to complain how expensive it's something is. Say no more. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> Speaking of capitalism, um, yeah, and and to go back to something you said, like we, you know, there are specific conditions that sort of create this this personalized experience of getting hooked on, of craving, of needing crisis and chaos, of becoming dependent on it, and in our capitalistic society, the way it is structured, it is that it is replicating those very conditions on a mass scale. So what was like for, you know, hundreds of years recognized through various forms of like hysteria, um, the, you know, people's propensity to need to ex- over-exaggerate, to overperform, to intensify experience to be seen and heard, usually, or to distract themselves and other people from some serious pain is now. So there was like little, little bits of it here and there, or, you know, not little bits, but it wasn't as apparent. It wasn't as present as it is now as, as it's becoming an endemic. We all got a little drama. We all got a little drama and we all got a little like propensity now. And we don't even know like the tools we might use, whether it's (laughs) typing in all caps like, did we need that? Was that actually the energy and the attention and the emotional expression that was needed to get our needs met? Or was that overproducing mm-hmm. and an energy and, and, and expression? And it's, you know, and to notice all the little ways you take yourself out of the opportunity for quietness, settled relaxation. Not that, that, not that relaxation is the ultimate state. We need to be able to rise up and, and ride all the different emotions. And so, but if you're in a bathtub, 
if you're in a meditation class, if you're in a yoga class, and you start to go towards that relaxation reflex, and all of a sudden, you start thinking about that fight you had last week, or you start making up a story about that conversation you need to have with a friend, and then you are rolling, or you need to even start thinking about your grocery list or the things you forgot to do, and all of a sudden, you're not in that relaxation reflex. You're in the revving reflex, the stress reflex that takes you up and out of the possibility of settling. And, and yes, we are seeing this on a mass scale. If, if you're listening, you're like, Oh yeah, that's definitely happened to me. That's absolutely happened to me because the conditions of social media, the conditions of the news, the way that they make money is to capture your attention and maintain it. And the way that they capture and maintain it is to create a stress response. They use that through imagery. They use that through sensational language. They use that through sensational stories. Yeah, things that will capture and maintain your attention, especially things of violent nature, sexual nature, things that make you feel sadness or anger. Those are all going to capture your attention more, quote-unquote negative emotions. Negative emotions are not bad emotions. They're emotions that capture your attention more. That is what, what is meant by negative emotions. Where positive emotions, you're like, yeah, that feels good. And then you move on. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Next. And um, so what garners your attention is going to be used over and over again until you are overstimulated and underprocessed. And then that stimulation you grow a threshold to, you grow a tolerance level for, and they need to produce more so you feel more so that they can keep your attention. And then as you get more and more of a threshold tolerance for it, you are flooded continuously. And when you're not being flooded, you start to go through withdrawals. We start to see more and more anxiety because more and more of us are also experiencing withdrawals from that high, high of stimulus without the ability to metabolize and process it, which is when we don't have that, the signal that the body says, I can't deal with this, this is too much, is anxiety. Mm -hmm. So, oh my God, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm so glad you wrote this book and you're so brilliant. Holy shit, honey, work. I'm like, yes, you know, get it. Good job. Like, thanks, Trauma, for making Scott so wise. Thank you, honey. I'm just kidding, guys. But really, like, you know, I was reflecting on this um, podcast yesterday, like, because of my mother's death, I've become such a such a, a caring person in a, in a much, you know, people were like, Sai, you're already so caring, you're already so friendly, you're already so loving, da, da. but trust me, from the relationship between me and me and me and the closest people to me, like the fucking horrific experience of losing my mom and seeing her go through the horrific medical system and how neglected and violated she was during those last few hours mm-hmm. and having that reprocessing memory and having that memory be floating around in my mind with nowhere to go because I'm still so fucking angry and still like so much in this like punitive lens of like, they have to suffer. And then I catch myself, ho'oponopono, that bitch, you know, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Back into my body, do the whole process, right? 
You're and about weaponized empathy here. That's right. Yeah. And weaponized empathy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so going to this whole process and then being like, wow, my mother's death has made me a much deeper, um, like I have mm. so much more of a, of a, like, it's so the, the, my ability to care for myself and other people is so uncontrived these days. So that's when I say, thank you, trauma. Yeah. I mean, it in that way, you yeah. know, I'm not saying thank you abuser for fucking violating me. You yeah. know, that made me better. Don't go there. That's called spiritual bypassing, sis. Yeah. There will be a yeah. time that you get to say thank you, trauma, in whatever doesn't cue makes you stronger. There is truth to that, but don't go there yet. Mm-hmm. But listen, one thing you said that I, I was like gagging over here and I totally like took the mic and ran with it naturally. But it was something about, um, oh, it was this, like, what do you think from, and maybe it's something that the reader has, that the listener has to buy the book to find out, but can you give us some context to why we may be, and it's not a perhaps one problem, but you kind of started to talk about why we're addicted to drama. Is it because we come from an unsafe household? Is it because our ACE score is high? For those of people who don't know about the ACE score, adverse childhood experiences, I talk a lot about this. When we talked to Gabor, we spoke about this. My mom had a really high ACE score. Therefore, I got a fucking high ACE score too, bitch. But I am fucking, I'm like doing the work for the generation. I'm healing my mom's unprocessed trauma through my fucking body. That's the whole somatic mission for me. So what do you think it is, Scott? Like if we can give the listener like a girl look in that direction, like that's what it is. Just look. Here's a flashlight. I'm not showing what it is, but just take the flashlight and go that way, you know? I mean, there's no one single origin. So we can name a few. You grew up in a household of chaos. You go, that becomes the norm. I had no idea door slamming and screaming and slaps and hugs over here and then slaps the next moment was not normal. So I became to ex- expect the unexpected. I, I lived the roller coaster. So any moment that was not a roller coaster felt like that didn't make sense. That wasn't a reality I understood. So I'm going to replicate the reality I understand. And if I can't do it just in myself, I'm going to do it in my environment. I'm going to manipulate the environment in a way where I feel normalized. And... That's so that's one way. Yeah. And, and there's, and it's, you know, another possibility is like, what, what was the currency of love that you grew up in? If your currency of love was when I'm sick, when I'm not okay, when I'm struggling, that's when I'm seen. That's when I'm finally witnessed by my family then I'm going to keep that as my currency of love. And I'm going to ensure that I stay in the realm of suffering to be loved. So that's another way. You know, we can look at, as you mentioned, transgenerational trauma, trauma, and how do we adapt? So, you know, trauma is not just, ooh, It happened. It's in the moment and it's, ooh, it's just in the body and there it is. There's a whole biological process of adapting to the conditions of the trauma itself. And I named it already. My my sense of touch changes. My eyes go from a ability to see uh, narrow and peripheral to just narrow. 
my auditory processing, my hearing, goes to attune to more high-pitched sounds, of, which are associated with danger, and low-pitched sounds, more associated with danger. I miss neutral sounds. So my entire ecosystem, my entire physiology is attuned for threat. And that is all I'm able to take in and receive. That is my reality. And so like, that's another means. And like we said before, drama, drama is for fucking free. Alcohol. I mean, like when I was a kid, I couldn't afford cocaine. I don't know about you, <laughs> but like I didn't grow up in a house that had that extra money or, I mean, there might've been some extra stuff lying around, but I didn't find it until later. Um, <laughs> the drama, <laughs> drama, I can create, I can manufacture it. I can find it wherever I go and it's free. It has a cost to our health, but the production of it is free and available. And so, you know, and you named something really important before, which is crisis is our social glue. And this is a really important piece is like there was a study done in Australia at a university where the one group had to put their hand in ice cold water, like it burned, um, you know, burn as in ter- mm-hmm. the ter- like cold, but it burned. And then another group just put their hand in neutral water. And then the groups went and did tasks together and the group that experienced the pain bonded so much more quickly that they were able to do the task in half the amount of time and efficiency uh, and more efficiently than the other group. Crisis became, is the social glue. I, my first day of school, September 11th, 2001, in New York City. I was walking from my apartment to my, my school, and I saw a, a plane go into a building. And I thought, well, that's weird. That's like very expensive movie set. <laughs> like I didn't even picture it. And you know, I had moved to New York the day before. And um, you know, and my experience of New York in that 24 hours was damn, people are cold. I'm a nice Midwestern kid. I say hi in elevators, people just ignore me. That's weird. Like you know, I'd say hi to people on the street and they moved to the other side of the street. Um, <laughs> they were afraid of Midwesterners there. And the days after the, the events of 9-11, I would sit next to people on buses and we would just cry together. I, I remember this woman, and I'll never forget this moment. And she turned to me on a bus and she just said, did you lose anyone? And we didn't say anything after that. We just cried together. And it still, it moves me so deeply. I have full body chills, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, this is not, this is not New York. New York has been transformed by the crisis it has experienced. It has bonded us more deeply than anything else I could imagine. Because crisis forms such a social glue. It brings us together. It has the potential to bring us together. And if if you grew up in such in situations where you felt separate, 
if you felt such a lack of belonging, connection, then why not go to the very thing that so successfully brings people together, like crisis? Tired of sleepwalking through life on autopilot and ready to step into a fully expressed, authentic, joyful life? Seeking a simple yet effective way to build a healthy spiritual routine that supports you on your own terms? The Awakening Membership makes resources to develop or deepen your spiritual practice portable, affordable, efficient, and fun. Join now for immediate access to Sa's most profound spiritual practices, including guided meditations, transformative coursework, insightful masterclasses, inspiring spiritual talks, monthly live Dharma workshops with Sa, weekly email inspiration, and more. The Awakening can be easily accessed on your desktop or our handy mobile app, so you'll always have the spiritual support you need when you need it. Ready to release your limiting beliefs, harmful mental conditioning, unhealthy habits, and those pesky personal demons once and for all? Join The Awakening today via the link in the show notes. Use the code SSS for 10% off as an exclusive Spiritually Sassy Show discount. Wow. Wow. That's so deep. Oh my goodness. And and thank you for sharing that story. That was like really, I could feel my whole body being like, ah, <laughs> thank you. Listen, so like, then how the fuck do we bond? You know, like how are we meant to then do this, this bonding, belonging thing together? And, and I'm asking, you know, for the, for the listener and like, what, like, what do you think we do to like unhook from our addiction to drama to then start to walk the path where like crisis isn't the way that we receive love and chaos isn't the language of care, you know, but something that is like, um, you know, that has like a, a, a regenerate, regener- I can't even fucking say that word. It's like that regenerates you, that like replenishes you, that like restores you. That's like nourishment, less of the, this depleting thing that some fucking chemical way, it feels like it's nourishment, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's like another way of saying that is when does red flag stop feeling like love? <laughs> When, when do we stop chasing and allow for embracing? Like when all of those aspects that we see manifested in our relationships. Mm-hmm. It's like eating junk food. We love yeah. that shit, but that we shit is empty it. calories, honey. Put mm. down the Doritos, girl. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Do you, do you watch reality television? I don't. I don't either. But I know a lot of people who do, you know, and... Yeah, I mean, I have, um, mm-hmm. it's an interesting thing, my relationship with like social media and TV, it's like I, at the beginning, when I like had my big awakening in, in 2012, and then like, I went to the depth of hopelessness and despair and suicide mm-hmm. radiation, I, I had this like diet of all fucked up things of all things that would like, you know, perpetuate my addiction to chaos. I had like this I am in a full diet. None of this, none of this enters my field. And it kind of, it's kind of, you know, stayed. And I kind of like became stable in that kind of a life. And then I then became addicted to working. And then that was another way of like fulfilling that old prophecy of like, you know, capitalism's got a hook on you, girl. You ain't free, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I went back into it. 
And, and the, the thing with like helping others and being of service to other people, it's so nourishing. Mm-hmm. And from, from multiple layers that I was like, this is like, I, I can be addicted to this. This is mm-hmm. healthy addiction. This is great to be a workaholic. If I'm serving sentient beings, then shit, girl, I'm getting free. But little did I know that I was just in a massive sort of denial of my physio- physical needs, denial of my spiritual needs. And I was, um, you know, unaware because it was just, I was getting high by helping other people. And so now I'm in this like dance of like, you know, um, how, how can I master helping others while I'm helping myself? How can I master helping myself while I'm helping others? So it's this new kind of stage of my personal evolution and, 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 and shit, this is 10 years in the making. This isn't like a a woke up and like, I know what to do, you know, it's like, so yeah, I don't even know if I had a question there, but like there. Yeah. It's amazing how addiction is both a, a perpetuating self abandonment and filling the void of where you could have been or could be simultaneously. And then, and so like you feel full, like you feel full from junk food, but you were never there to actually take in any of it. And then when that's the junk food passes through, you're still not there. And you have to fill more of the void. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you have to continually self-abandon. Mm-hmm. And so it's such a, such a hard loop, such a hard cycle to break. And you were asking me, like, how do we do that? I don't know. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Go to page 94 <laughs> on the seventh line. I give you one word. Take that word, multiply it by seven, and you're going to find the next clue. <laughs> it's a choose your own adventure book. Um, it's, a, it's a scavenger hunt of healing. That's, That's what right. this book really is. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I wrote the first two sections of the book and then I was like, I'm done. And I handed it into my publisher <laughs> and they're like, where's the healing section? And I was like, I don't want to write it. Like, I, I don't know. I don't feel drawn. I don't know all the answers. Like it's, it's a long process. And they're like, you have to write the healing section. And I was like, Oh, okay. And it actually took me three days to write the healing section. Whereas the other parts took me months and months. And, um, it, you know, it's a, it's, and part of it was, I was like, there is no, there is no like cookie cutter approach to healing. Like, yes, there are conditions, certain conditions that created this and certain, especially somatic practices that help us out, but their healing is as unique as the individual. And if we, if we cookie cutter the individual, we're dismissing the authentic experience that needs to happen that is inherent in healing. Mm. And so I was like, so I was struggling so much, uh, you know, prior to writing it about like, how do you guide, especially through a book, someone into a healing process that like I worked individually in, in with groups for years. Like I, I could be there. And I could be responsible for what happened, but I, I feel like in writing a book, I, I don't know if I could take on the responsibility of not being there while mm. someone's in their process mm. of healing. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. And I felt guilty. Like, I'm like, well, I'm kind of abandoning you if I'm not there with you during your whole healing process. And I, so, 
You know, I, I don't have one simple solution. There is, you know, a good 60 pages on, and 20 pages of practices that follow that on, on healing. And there are certain milestones for sure. And, and there are certain shortcuts that I will just give, like, get off social media. <laughs> Stop watching the news. And if you can't, identify your saturation point and then identify the point before the saturation point and stop there. And I know I took, I took two years off of social media. It, uh, it definitely had consequences for my profession and my life. And, but my health improved <laughs> and I'm, wow. and I am grateful for that experience. And I, I will say I haven't watched the news or read a newspaper in 10 years. Um, and people always say to me, but you then must be so uninformed. And I'm like, uh, yes, then that is the consequence that I accept for having a healthier nervous system, for being able to get through a day without taking another hit of stress to get through it, to, wow. to, to use chaos and crisis throughout my day to not only annihilate my internal physiology, but the ecosystem and the environment and everyone in it, if that is the consequence, I accept my, my, my naivete about what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And I, but it, and I don't actually feel naive about what's no, happening. No, of course not. Absolutely not. And, but it, it also prompts me to, to reflect on something like, what are we being informed about? Like that, that this war broke out, that there is this genocide happening, that there is this like ethnic cleansing taking place, that there is this like sex trafficking and like all things that yes, be aware of it. But the biggest problem that I see, and this is where it irks the fuck out of me with the soul, like psychological, spiritual Instagram and TikTok that I can't, I, I, I literally like it nauseates my body and my, and I'm, my mind goes to like, bitch shut the fuck up place where <laughs> people are not urging people to to become more more active in their communities i yeah. always say that self-care should capital s always lead to community care if yep. spiritual practice and healing are not are not creating the causing conditions for you to become an activist then you're not healing you're just becoming intoxicated with another fucking bubble bath bitch and another face mask and you're calling it healing you're not Someone needs we, to stop that, you can know. We just have a moment for Joseph Campbell here, who said embodiment is not embodiment until you have actualized it into the world, until you have brought it and taught it. Say it loud and clear. Thank you. And and, and yeah. go ahead, take it away. Take it away. I no, have another and, point and, that and I want to so, reflect. Yeah, and and so I just want to I I just wanted to name that that absolutely it doesn't stop at like ooh I feel more of me I'm good. I'm healed. I'm done. <laughs> because that would assume some type of uh, perspective philosophy that we're not interconnected. That's right. Which is flawed. So, yeah. yeah. Like we're not free until we're all free. If the world is hurting, you are hurting, period. We're less as connected like the forest, the trees in the forest, you know, the problem is we're not as selfless as the tree in the forest. When you water one tree, the bitch is not like, okay, let me keep all this water to me, mine, and I, because I'm going to, you know, have, I'm, I need this for myself, girl. I got to look out for me. The problem with the capitalistic indoctrination and colonization of resources, we are hoarding things because we don't think there will ever be enough. That's for another point. But I just want to say one thing about the information thing that you said. Yeah. If 
people think that they're, they're like, oh, Scott, you're uninformed now. What are you uninformed at? You know that there's an unhoused person down the street from your house. You know that there is a shelter need, that needs help. You know that there's people around your neighborhood that need help. We know locally that people need help. How? What good does it do to be thinking about people on the other side of the world when you're not doing anything about the people in your fucking neighborhood? That's what gets me irked the fuck out. Yeah. It's like, yes, worry about Syria. Yes, worry about Palestine. Yes, worry worry about this. Yes, worry about all Ukraine. Yes, worry about all this shit. Yes, worry about South Sudan's largest fucking refugee camp in the world. Yes, sis, go there. But worrying about that without you doing anything locally is inflammation. And Scott's book is going to name it for you. It's addiction to drama, bitch. Period. That's <laughs> why I'm naming it for you right here, you know? So, like, you can't do that if you're not doing this. And that this means local. Go make some fucking sandwiches and go bring out to the people in your neighborhood, you know? Yeah. Period. Like, yeah. I don't know how else to say. And you can tell I get fucking irked out. Because I'm just like, you can't, you can't say you're informed when you're not doing anything about the pain that's right in front of you. And you're so inflamed by the overstimulation of all the negative news that you're consuming that you're turning a blind eye when you're running to yoga class. Someone is laying out there in your neighborhood struggling with no resources and asking for money, but you're running late to a yoga class and you're so overstimulated to use your language, so saturated in negativity that your your peripheral vision is non-existent and you're so narrow. I need healing. Me more. I matter more. And you run to yoga class and you hop over a human body. You miss the point of healing. You miss the chance of genuine healing by hopping over that body. Enough talking. Take the mic back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> There, what happens? Well, here, let's go back to the content thing. Yes, I'm naive. Sure, I'll rock that. I'll, I'll wear a T-shirt that says that. I don't care. And it's not just like it, is the content important. It's how is it delivered. What are the devices, the drama devices to deliver that content? If you distill it out, the content versus the drama devices, the content is actually just a tiny seed. The devices, the way of exaggerating the stories, sensationalizing the narratives, adding exclamation marks, showing imagery over and over again, those are the devices that are creating consequences. There was a study done after the Boston bombing that clearly showed those who were at the event and did not watch the news were less traumatized than those who watched the news for an entire week. They were so saturated from the overplaying of the image that they had more serious signs of PTSD than those who were at the event. Insane. Those are the devices, the drama devices that are carrying what is important seedlings of information but delivering it in a way that maintains an attentional economy, which is really a stress economy. Wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Holy shit. I'm laughing out of, uh, you know, laughs uncomfortably, like little parentheses there. I love there. a good uncomfortable <laughs> laugh. I live for the drama. Listen. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So let's talk about, like, this amazing thing you developed, somatic stress release. Yeah. Like, Speak to that because I think you're you're a therapist, but you're also you know a somatic a practitioner expert. And 
you know, I always say that therapy, where therapy and somatic work begins, or it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm a saucy bitch, so I get to say shit like that, honey. And sure. you can come for me. I don't give a fuck. I can back it up. But <laughs> the point is, it's like the bottom-up approach versus the top-down approach. Like retelling our stories to try to get free. Trying to think our way out of suffering. Trying to talk our way out of suffering. And, and oftentimes, that is the, the realm of, 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 of talk therapy, right? And that's where... It ends and then where the real fucking legendary iconic work begins, hashtag healing here. So somatic stress release, the bottom-up approach, body into mind, changing how we feel to change how we think and act and da-da-da. Can you take it away and explain to us like that method that you created? Yeah. Well, let's just start with something fundamental. Don't think for a moment that trauma only began when you could talk about it. So way before you spoke your secondary language of English, Spanish, Russian, Ukrainian, dot, 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 what you might call your mother tongue, you had your first primary language, which was breath, movement, sensation. That is how you experience the world. That is how you communicated for several years. Developmental trauma still happens at that time. You still are in relation to the world, even if you can't talk about it, but you processed it through your primary language. It's also known as non-declarative memory or implicit. The trauma, the experience, the sensation of trauma, which is what is kept and stored and locked away, exists in that primary language of the body, known as the implicit. Yeah. In oftentimes, that gets separated from narrative. It gets it literally becomes two separate experiences. You have the, the narrative, which you can talk about, and then you have the actual way it's stored and created patterns, adaptive patterns in your body, which is the implicit non-declarative memory. You can't talk your way out of the primal language. You can only feel and move and sense your way through it. Yeah. So somatic stress release recognizes that our primal experience around stress happens at that deep body level. And first of all, somatic stress release is I developed it because I am so bored of people shit talking stress. Yeah. I'm so bored of the way Walter Cannon and all these fucking old white dudes have mis have created generations of misunderstanding of our physiology based on their bias of their time. Yeah. And so, first of all, I mean, I actually uh, love some of the early work, but it, it, because it wasn't, the stress was not considered the big bad monster in the closet that's out to kill us all. Yeah. Like if you open up any pop psychology magazine and, and it talks about stress, it's going to be like, stress is killing you. Guess what? Stress is saving you. You want to shit talk cortisol all the time? Guess what? Do you like getting up in the morning and eating? You wouldn't be able to do that without cortisol. Yeah, so it's like we have this massive misunderstanding of stress and then we're reactive just to the word of it, even though we don't truly understand the depth of what it is. Stress 
or stress, our stress response is our fundamental biological adaptation system. A baseball comes at you, you move out of the way. That's a stress response. Your friend comes and says, let's go dancing. And you say, "Mm, I'm not in the mood. Stress response. It's how are you adapting to the circumstances that here and your capacity to do it is your stress response. Or we also say resilience. They're actually the same. (laughs) And so it's important to understand this because um, if we aren't able to adapt, that is where disease forms. All those negative things you hear about stress, like it's going to fuck up my immune system and I'll lose my memory and I'll turn into an asshole. Well, you were already an asshole. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Those things did not happen because you got stress, because something in the world happened. That's life. Life happens. How you respond to life, how you adapt to life will will either bring you into the path of, you know, being alive and thriving, or it will move you into disease because you are unable or you don't have the time, space, permission, support to be with the stress response system as an, as a means to adapt. So stress happens in four stages. This is like a very fundamental level entry point to understanding stress. You have an activation response. It's the first part of a stress response. You get that little heat, you get that little flutter, you get your eyes change. Um, they become more narrowed. You, all the things we go, Oh, I'm stressed out. That's just honey, honey. That's just your physiology, getting all your energy, energy reserves up and ready to adapt. Then we go into number two of the cycle, mobilization. We take that energy and we apply it into action. We actualize that energy into adaptation. I get out of the way the baseball. I tell that my friend, I'm not coming out dancing tonight, whatever it is. Then since I actualized it, I have to deactivate. I have to like, my muscles need to relax. They need to settle. They need to stop compressing the nerves. So I go from desensitization to resensitization. I, my blood flow moves back into my digestive system so I can process all the emotions that came with that experience. Because I I can't process all the emotions and necessarily do all the adaptation at the same time. It's a, it's a interesting mechanism that we can do it in steps. Then if I truly was able to digest all of that, my body goes, Oop, let's fill up the tank. I'm going to re, uh, refill myself with the energy potential needed for the next cycle of adaptation. That's called restoration. That's the fourth step of stress. If that cycle is interrupted, urgency culture, not giving permission for people to process their emotions. They're addicted to drama, (laughs) whatever it is that never allows them to complete that stress response cycle. That's where we see dis-ease. That's where we see all of these chronic autoimmune disorders. That's where we see all these consequences of quote unquote stress is not in the stimulus It's not even in the stress response. It's that something culturally inside of us 
whatever it is, is getting in the way of our process of adapting. Mm, wow. So let me just like translate because you got real nerdy real quick. And real I just bar. J'adore. Thank you. Love it. Um, <laughs> but let me just understand it real yeah. quick. So the stimuli comes in yeah. and we have to respond. Yeah. In the process of me responding to it, I get pulled away from it. Like something systemic happens, like something inside of me or something in the collective. Like it's it's a, it's an outer system takes place of, of us pulling us away from that, or it's an inner sort of saturation point that it's like, Oh, it's maybe this is too much. I can't do it. Like explain to us like that yeah. point, like what stops this? What what, stops what, this yeah. What really yeah. pulls us away from completing the four steps? Yeah, it can be a lot of things. So it can be, I mean, the, I always say these like four main ones, time, space, permission, support, mm -hmm. space, interest you know mm -hmm. like those, mm -hmm. that's more than four but mm -hmm. um you know it's like or just overwhelm it ex the stimulus exceeds my window of capacity to be present with it and i flood which is what happens when which is what i was talking about in the mm -hmm. um process of news or social media flooding our systems yeah it's flooding us beyond our capacity to metabolize it I see. That's what and that's, we have no and tolerance. A and a response system to being flooded, like trauma, is that we numb out. Mm -hmm. Our body's adaptation system kicks in. We dissociate more. We start to numb out. We start to or drink or find ways to continue to numb from the overstimulation and being under-processed. Mm -hmm. Wow. And what do you think um, someone who is actively like pulled away from that, f from uh, engage on these, from like mm -hmm. naturally and organically going through these four steps, what do you think? I mean, this is where the somatic work comes in for mm -hmm. me and for, and uh, you know, I want to hear from you, but like w when it's happening, can you speak to like bringing us, you know, our mind back into the body to actually be like, oh shit, there's an entire process taking place, but I am pathologizing the feeling. I am, I am intoxicated by it. I've created an entire narrative. I've given way too much meaning to it. I have left the present moment. I have no idea what you, who are you again? You know what I mean? You're like, yeah. bye. Fully yeah. checked out. Yeah. We, we can't process what we don't feel. And we can't feel if we're not here to be in relationship to ourselves. Yeah. So it is, how do we come back? And which is hard when we have trauma, when we're talking about this numbness to ask someone to come back into feeling, let alone to come back into the occupancy of their body. That is a lot to ask for anyone. And so yeah. it's a whole titrated approach. We've got to go slow. You know, if my only relationship of feeling is these intense extreme emotions, then to build the vocabulary of feeling that's like of the subtleties of life, like just being able to taste the flavor of an apple is so important, let alone sadness, let alone anger, let alone these other emotions that I actually have been avoiding or repressing by the extreme and intensity of my response as a, someone who's addicted to drama. Mm, fucking brilliant. Thank you for that answer. <laughs> Work. 
I love it. Oh my goodness. We're coming up to like the end of the show. My team does such an epic job on you. Like I have questions for like three years. I could like have <laughs> you on talking for like a, a decade. We'll honey. Too. <laughs> yes, please. Listen, before you go, I, one question that I just want to hear, because you're such, you, you know, you have this like clinical mind and you're, you being nerdy is a compliment in my view. Okay. You have this capacity of, of being like super well-spoken and, and, you know, you deliver in this like really beautiful, um, scholarly way. So I want to crack it a little bit. Crack. Have you ever had a mystical experience? Mm. Every day. Okay, honey. Bring it. Can we hear one? Well, first of all, I used to, I used to be very, uh, much involved in non-dual tantric philosophy. And I still am. It's, it's very much the basis of my um, non-dual, even tantric Buddhism is very much the basis of my life. And actually my under, you know, really what I was like, all the stuff I wrote about in healing was getting to the point of, and, and, and in somatic stress release is how do you ride the waves of life as opposed to dampening them? How do you really recognize that life is full of these crazy currents and lovely currents? And how do you surf all of them? How do you be present enough to be with whatever's here? Which is resilience, true resilience. Not did you get punched down and get up again? That's not resilience. It's can I be here to be and be here with what's here? Um, shit, I've had so many mystical experiences. I feel like life is a mystical experience. I'd love to give you an example, but I'm like, shit, waking up felt that way today. <laughs> I mean, look, that's the thing. It's like, I it, 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 I think when I ask that question, it's I, I'm not prompting people to say, you know, the black Madonna woke me up in the middle of the night and told me she the did. secret <laughs> told me the secret of life. You know, like, it's not that. Or like I was meditating and then the next thing I know, like, you know, Siddhartha came in and appeared in my mind's eye and, and said, bitch, you're free. Yeah. It's not that, you know, yeah. like I wanted to be just like a, <laughs> well, what I always say, it's like a perspective shift. Yeah. We were yeah. hooked. We it's were small. We were limited. We mm-hmm. were in that one track mind. And then all of a sudden uh, the breeze whispered the key. And then mm-hmm. we just were like, okay, whoa, I'm, I'm alive. I, mm-hmm. I can keep going. I'm not going to do the thing that I thought was going to unhook me. I, the breeze did the job, but is the yeah. breeze the mystical experience? Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, that. Yeah. I just want that. The yeah. listener needs to stop, you know, fixating your mystical experience being this big, you know, glamorous, you know, shiny thing. More mm. of like, it's like that. It's like, I woke up today, bitch. I got put on the wake up list today. I that means that is shit. Like some people didn't make the cut today, you know? And like, Look, bitch, you did. When I was 28, I died. I died. It was resuscitated. Like, I know what it's like to not wake up. So oh, I, I don't know. Like I, You're telling me this at the one hour? Oh, my God. Yeah. You were, oh, my God. Okay, give me like one I, minute of it. <laughs> oh, shit. She's like, no, honey, part two. <laughs> uh, I wow. was drugged and at a bar. And I, um, in the mix of that and my SSRIs, like it went, bop, it went bonkers. And I was like, bye-bye world. And I remember my mom was like, came in to check on me. I was living with my parents because I was going through a divorce and I was just flat out, you know, at rock bottom. If I hadn't hit rock bottom yet, which I thought I had, it was that moment where I died. Um, 
And I uh, I remember my mom came in to check on me and I was like, I'm I'm going away now. I said something like that. I'm like, I this is like I just remember I'm like, I'm not okay. Um and next thing I knew I woke up in a hospital like a week later. And it was it or five days later, whatever. It was something mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. multiple days later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like and this was all part of like the reset for me of, of, I I wish this reset for nobody, by the way, from going from a deep addiction to drama to like a reset of my entire nervous system. Uh, And, you know, there was a lot of things that led to that reset, but like that, that was a major reset for me. Like I, a, a lot of the hook, the attachment to the dependencies, not all of them. I still, I, many more years to sort it out. But like, I just was like, I don't, I don't want this anymore in my life. I don't want the intensities, the roller coasters. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to live off of stress as my battery pack, my coffee. Wow. Oh my God. Okay. You took the mystical experience to the next level, honey. (laughs) (laughs) First was like, I woke up today. That was a mystical experience. And then we went to like the, you know, NAD girl, I died and I came back, you know? Uh, well, thank you very much, Dr. Scott Lyons. This has been a fucking gem. Thank you oh. so much. Everyone, go get this fucking book and stop being addicted to drama, bitch. We can't do this anymore. Go get the book. And remember, the success of the book is, 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 is rely, it relies upon you writing a fucking review. Buy two books, read it with your friends, read it with your family, read it with the person that you think sh- they are addicted to drama, read it with them. Because if you think they have it, you got it too. So read it with them, write a review together, you know, but it's important. Go to your local stores, buy the book at the local store, but also, I know a lot of you got beef with Amazon. Trust me that I, I get it, girl, but I'm still priming a lot of shit. Um, <laughs> listen, the tea is hot. You got to go to Amazon and buy the book. You know, we got to make the book success on Amazon. That helps to make it into the bestseller list and all the things. Um, Scott, thank you very much. Thank you, love. Yeah. Jim, guys, I love you so much. Take good care of yourself. Remember, if you love the show, please rate, review, and subscribe and stay in touch with me. And... You know, we got a new episode for you every Tuesday. Love you. Bye.